thank you for joining us for what we're actually calling an updated carers podcast because the last time we spoke about this topic was a few years ago now and I'm really grateful and pleased that we're able to raise this topic again um, and actually welcome Trish from Maggie's Cancer Charity so welcome Trish. Thank you very much for inviting me for this yeah really excited because obviously I wasn't on the last one so yeah really excited thanks for asking me. Fabulous. So it's a bit of an intro, really. And this is quite interesting because at Unum, we've just been talking about our carers policy and the days that are allocated. And there was an interesting conversation about, well, our parents carers because they're caring for someone and because we've got the amount of days that you can take off if you're a carer. And I was like, absolutely not. If you're caring for your parents, you're a carer. Um, but it's interesting how the definitions and how different people interpret the definitions and how they would apply them to themselves. So I think that's quite an interesting kind of side note, really. But there are figures out there suggesting that there's about 10 million unpaid carers in the UK alone. And that is a lot of people. Um, and that would definitely indicate that there are unpaid carers in in most workplaces as well it's only an estimation so we don't actually know if there are more and and as I said some people might not even realize that they would be considered a carer and therefore the number could could potentially be even higher the reason I want to bring it to the attention of of the podcast is specifically because of the impact and importance that being a carer an unpaid carer specifically, so it's not someone's job, is the impact it can have on someone's well-being, the impact it can have on an individual, on their mental health, physically and on their well-being. We're all guilty, even if we're not unpaid carers, we're all guilty of prioritising everything else above our own health and well-being. But that's even more profoundly observed when someone is caring for a loved one because they've got this massive amount of guilt attached to any downtime that they might take. So what I want us to think about today and really explore is the importance of the well-being of you as an individual, if you're a carer, if you know someone that is a carer. Um, specifically, that's what I want to cover in today's session. Let's just remember we can't pour from an empty cup. So, Trish, excited to be here, excited to have you, but not everybody knows about Maggie's and the wonderful stuff they do. Um, so, yeah, tell us about yourself, about Maggie's, what you see day to day when it comes to carers. Right. Hello, everyone. Um, my name's uh, Trish Morgan and I'm the centre head at um, Maggie's based in Oldham. And Maggie's is a cancer care charity and we support anyone that's been affected by a cancer diagnosis. But unlike other charities, we support not only the person with the cancer, we support their carers, their family, their friends, could be a next door neighbour, um, it could be a work colleague. And our services are open to all that group. And we provide that drop-in support, that emotional, practical and psychological support for anybody. And it was set up by a visitor. So everyone that comes to Maggie's is not a patient. They're a person, they're a, a visitor to the centre because they're an individual. And it was set up by a lady called Maggie Keswick Jenks, who had a breast cancer diagnosis. And when she was told her diagnosis and unfortunately a palliative diagnosis, she was told in a clinic room by a consultant who then said, you've got three months to live and then told her to go and wait outside um, and that somebody would come and speak to her. And afterwards, with her husband and her two children, they thought they all thought this is not really acceptable. We want somewhere that 
I can be supported, my family can be supported through everything that we're going through with this diagnosis and ultimately, you know, bereavement later on down the line. She came up with this blueprint of of cancer care, but in a different way. So working alongside the medical team, but primarily looking at well-being of living with a cancer diagnosis, but that emotional support that goes with it, that practical support that goes with it and the psychological impact that it has. Basically, the, the Maggie's started um, in Edinburgh and we've been running now 26 years. Um, there's 24 centres across the UK and there's three international. So not a clinical service, but it's run by clinical staff, mainly those that have come from the NHS with cancer support specialists, clinical psychologists, benefits advisors and our fundraising team. And what our programme of support looks like is immediate drop-in. So anyone can come in Monday to Friday, nine till five, and access that immediate support to look at cancer support, to look at finances. We also have group support or activities which look at health and well-being. The research evidence based out there about the importance of eating well, some exercise, Um, looking after your mental health so we do some relaxation we do some yoga all these things are so important and those type of things are available to everybody at Maggie's so I know we're talking about carers today so yes it's open to everyone affected by that diagnosis so as I said before it could be that you're working with somebody that's a that's got a diagnosis and you need that support you could be a carer for somebody you could be a family member And we all support families and children, and um, we also support the bereaved. What I was interested in hearing, first of all, is kind of what you see day to day when it comes to carers. Like, how does how are they affected, and and things like that. Yeah, so um, I suppose what we're talking about today is who is that carer, and you know, if you're looking after somebody and not being paid and that person can't manage without your help, then basically you're a carer. But that can involve so many sort of people. Yes, most of the time people think of it as family members that are doing sort of that caring or um, close friends or other relatives. And quite often what we see is that the person with cancer and their carer come into the centre and it may be that that carer stays and has a brew or might want to chat to somebody about how they're feeling because in a way they're going through the diagnosis of cancer as well and dealing with all that emotional aspect they feel they want to do more all the time or feel that they should be doing some more and and look to Maggie's for that bit of extra support that they're doing the right thing they're trying to manage um, and quite often it's about making sure that somebody's being heard and being valued, that we're sort of very empathetic about what's going on. Sometimes they feel that it's an expectation of what they should be doing. But then it's it's actually exhausting caring for somebody. I know we're going to talk a little bit in, in a bit about sort of relationships and things that can change, how carers can look after themselves. But it's the carers themselves as say they feel it's a duty they're not in control because it's not happening to them it's happening to their loved one whether that's a diagnosis or whatever their caring feelings they feel out of control they feel helpless because 
they're not managing that diagnosis. Relationships change. It could be partners. It could be children. It could be siblings. And a lot of the time, they actually sacrifice their own lives or what's happening in their lives for that carer that they're providing that support to. There's so many different places that you can be a carer as well isn't there because you've got you're you're specifically conscious of of individual supporting those going through a cancer diagnosis you've got others um that might be supporting um a a relative with dementia or alzheimer's or someone with a musculoskeletal condition or a neurological condition and it doesn't really change what your role is as a as a carer it might just be that there's a lot more that you need to be doing more physically or emotionally or financially or there's there's a or it could be all of them that you're doing absolutely everything but the the I suppose I'm interested to think about what the expectations of carers actually are how how are we defining a carer how are you I'm a carer because I am doing x y and z and the expectations of me as a carer are x y and z and and then when when that is that definition does occur and you realise you really are a carer, how does that start to impact your relationship with that person? Because a lot of the time you do notice individuals are the carers for their parents, for example. I know we'd sp- spoken earlier um, about that kind of where your role changes. And I know that my mum, for example, has become a lot more of a carer for my nan. My nan will not allow it at all. <laughs> so we've tried to get a cleaner. She absolutely won't have it. But then whenever we go round, we're having to wash up everything. She's not managing, but she's refusing to get the help to manage. So then that falls on all of us to kind of share it out. Mum does all her online shopping, does all her laundry. She has an ironing lady, you know, all of the stuff to try and make make it work but it's exhausting and that responsibility every time my mum goes on holiday she has to make sure that she's got cover in terms of us to be able to go in and your your roles change don't they because my nan was always the one helping my mum helping us with childcare, helping my mum with cleaning helping my mum with all and now those roles completely reverse so that impacts on your relationship it can create resentment either way I suppose but then similarly you might be someone's wife or husband or something and then the intimacy part of the relationship goes and it becomes more of a I don't know an expectation or you know where where is the boundaries so yeah I'd, I'm really curious as to what you see and, and tell us in a bit more about you know how you define someone actually being a carer and how that impacts on those relationships as well. Yeah I mean like as I said before if if you're looking after somebody or doing something for somebody because they wouldn't be able to do it themselves and it's a regular thing and you're not being paid for it, then you're classed as a carer. And it was interesting what you just mentioned before because uh, somebody said to me, in a way, we're a bit of a sandwich generation. So we're in that middle. So you might have elderly parents or grandparents that you're helping but then there's also sort of like children or other family members that you might be supporting as well. So you that care is stuck in the middle on both sides of trying to do all this care. And I think care comes into sort of a couple of different things. It's, it's not only sort of that caring as a, an emotional support, but sometimes it can be that physical support. And when you look at sort of relationships, And that expectation that, you know, if you're doing physical care for 
a parent or a grandparent it's like some people find that as an expectation that it's expected that you'll do it but you're you might be like oh actually doing that personal care is not what I want to do but there's an expectation that you'll have to do it so relate when you said about relationships changes absolutely you know it it can be a huge shock when if we've talked about cancer but yeah we can talk about life limiting conditions or anything any conditions that that you know might need that caring support it's how those relationships change so you, you know you mentioned a husband's wife partners whatever that intimacy but the relationship itself you know it wasn't what was expected when they got together you know they might not be the same person that they were and that can be either through illness or through age-related conditions and you mentioned about the resentment before and just an, an example there's almost like a resentment cycle that you you want to do your best but your life's been impacted you want to do your best for that person you're caring for and then you feel bad about thinking that it's all getting on top of you and the site so you carry on and you do it and it's just it carries on and just an example is I saw a lady came into the center so she's classed as carer caring for her husband who's got a cancer diagnosis but there is a decline in his health so now the house has been changed from a home almost into a, a room where he's got a hospital bed and he's got all this hospital medication and he's got you know and she's doing a lot of his personal care their relationship has changed com- completely and he will um, he will die from his condition she doesn't know when that's going to be she's worried about now you know the dark nights she's lonely herself because once he goes to bed she then you know she does her own thing and goes and watches watch telly so she feels she feels very sad and helpless and stressed about it and yes when she does get a break she has to make sure that she trusts the other people that are coming in to look after her husband but she feels very irritable about it and then feels guilty for feeling having those feelings and how much life life has sort of changed and how long will this go on you know go on for how long can she cope with how this is going and that does give her that resentment but it also she feels extremely extremely guilty her life is no longer in a way her own that is her main that is her main focus and there are things that she wants to do and it's just a case of listening to her because we can't change what's happened this is a difficult thing can't change what's happened but it's encouraging her to deal with sort of her anxiety and her stress and and her worry about what's going on that she can take some time and hopefully you know work on on how she feels about giving the care she does I just wanted to mention as well some ethnic communities as well there's almost there's almost like this um expectation of family duty of family you know members maybe living in one property and you've got grandparents sort of you know and generations of family living in properties and it's an expectation that you will look after those family members through illness and quite often they're quite isolated as well in communities that tend to stick together. Maggie's as a whole try to encourage or try to get into sort of different ethnic communities to um, say look you know we're here for you and the importance of that 
because there might be a language barrier and all these things sort of socially ends up being a barrier. There's so many elements to to the piece about being a carer, being a carer, being an individual that's struggling in the first place brings with it its own issues. And then being the individual that is actually supporting that person has a knock on effect on on people's day to day interactions, people's social interactions, people's health and well-being. Um, And that kind of highlights the importance of prioritising your well-being. Much like you mentioned your friend or these people where there's a high expectation of what they should be doing and how they should be helping their family members and don't feel like you have any choice. And actually, when you get choice taken away, that can make things feel even more difficult as well. I was just curious as to what the um, what the actual definition of a carer is. And so I looked under the, there's an assessment process for carers under the Carer Act, which is Dis- Disability Rights UK. And it is a person who provides, exactly as you said, but this is kind of the definition, if anyone doesn't even recognise themselves in this category, because you might not, you might just be duty bound to be doing something and not even realise. Um, a carer is a person who provides or intends to provide care for another adult. It could be a relative or a friend who is assisting another person in their day to day life. And that is different from someone who offers care professionally or through a voluntary organisation. But you can be you can you can get support in. So you might want respite or you might have a carer that comes in to your home to help your partner, perhaps with that personal care for example that you mentioned Trish like you that might just be a boundary that nobody wants to cross or having somebody to come in to um, support the person you're caring for with their personal care actually means that you can maintain some boundaries and maintain a bit more of a of a kind of the relationship that you had previously but that doesn't take away from the fact that you're still a carer if you get help in that's an important part to recognize you can still access and tap into services it doesn't then negate what you're doing because you're still coordinating all of that one of the bits that you mentioned as well was about the loneliness because i think it can feel incredibly lonely to be in in a a kind of an unpaid role on your own, coordinating the care of somebody else, worrying about them day in, day out. It could be as much as you mentioned about um, somebody living in the same home because it's their partner and they live in the same home and their whole home is is pretty much taken up. The living arrangements are changed, the beds downstairs, all of those sorts of things. That's incredibly invasive and incredibly emotionally difficult. But then you've also got the other side of things where they might live in a separate home and you're you're you still providing that care you're still coordinating that but you are not there which could add an extra layer of worry because you can't see them and you don't know what's going on but all of it impacts you as a person because say if you were planning on a, a weekend away or you wanted to have a have a relax or even just have a bath you think oh my goodness there's all these other things that I haven't done and I need to prioritize that you feel guilty for not doing what you need to do so what do you do you think carers need to to think about in order to look after themselves? Well, I think that, I mean, there's a huge sort of list, I think, but but starting off, you know, when you said sort of like home circumstances change, it's financial as well. You know, if things need adaptations in the home, do those need to be done? When does a, you know, a house, you know, a home then ends up being a house? It should, a home should be somewhere that, you know, is an environment that is close to somebody's heart. But then if those things change, and it just becomes a house that can be really difficult for somebody because you're almost living sort of separate lives, if you will. The loneliness is one big thing, but I also think it's actually exhausting 
mentally and sort of physically being a carer because yeah you are thinking about if if it's not if you're a carer and it's not in your home then you're constantly thinking are they okay is there anything happening and you, you're on constant alert which is then exhausting so you might not sleep properly and you have anxiety about that so all these feelings you know feeling resentful is quite a stigma as well because actually if you're a carer and you're asking for help you're inviting other agencies into your home if you're very proud about that you might have you might think other people think badly of you because you're being you're a carer but you're asking for extra help I think that has a huge impact on some carers because they feel extremely guilty about that or what will people think about my home oh is it a mess is it because I don't have time to do all these things uh, but they but, shouldn't they shouldn't feel guilty about that they're looking after themselves no. that's what we exactly you know. and, and, and that's why it's so important for um carers really to take some time to really look after themselves and think about themselves for once because it can be so overwhelming being a carer you want to be there all the time or are you there all the time what's expected of you being socially excluded and you know quite frightened of what's going to happen what if something happens and I'm not there it's so important that I think carers communication is is absolutely key and you know skills that you develop about talking to somebody it's important that the carers either just are able to sort of offload they just want some normality of what what does normal look like for them now how long is it going to you know going to be like that what what is going to happen but you still have to put yourself first because yes there are other agencies out there that you can get assistance from you're not on your own with that making sure here at at Maggie's making sure that our carers really are are heard um, that they're an individual they're not a carer they're a person they're an individual with needs of their own it's acknowledgement of that when when we're actually listening to um, carers and what they're saying and it's so hard there are so many things that sort of carers can do we can say practical things about you know try and get enough sleep and try and eat well and have regular activity but again trying to sleep when you're anxious about what's going on eating well have you got you know time to prepare a meal when you're doing other things you might be working you might be a carer as well you might have to nip to Asda to get something after work. You know, all these things take t- take up time. It's time that you don't really have for yourself. We tend to say, you're right, there's so many things that you should be doing for anybody, not even just carers, to look after your well-being. There's so many things that, you, that we know that we should do and we don't necessarily always do. But your priority for when you're a carer becomes the other person. But actually, if you're not in good health and if you're not looking after yourself, then they, the the other individual, the person that you're supporting, will will be impacted as well. So there's a double there's double need for you to be in in as good place as possible. But often, what we try and say to people um, here at Unum is, you don't need to do everything. Just try yeah. and make one small change. What one small change will make a difference to you and make a difference to the person that you're supporting? Would that be actually, I really need to exercise for my mental health, for my sense of independence, for my cardiac fitness, so I can help you as an individual more. And so if that, if we can just pick that one thing and make that work from 
actually I am at work during the day I know they're looked after during the day let me make sure I go and do that in my lunch break that's my one priority or if you're at home with them all the time and you know that they've got uh, somebody to come and support them for that for that half an hour personal care or something can you get out and just do a walk at that point for yourself or like what one thing could you potentially do not loads of things not millions of things because we all know that that is unsustainable but like you say we need to it's always so hard and there's always reasons not to but if we don't prioritize ourselves particularly as carers we're not going to be able to give that ongoing support for the person as well I suppose absolutely you can't um one you can't do everything and if if you're not in a good sort of emotional or physical state yourself you can't care for somebody else you have to have that priority now whether that's sort of a 15 minute sort of uh, relaxation app or just a de-stress app there's you know there's loads of stuff um available making sure that you sort of meet up socially with somebody else um, even if it's a 10 minute coffee or a text or a, or a quick phone call those things it just keeps you in the loop women that might, might have had children and they sort of like say oh, I've got baby brain because I've not had any communication with an I've not had an adult conversation for you know for a while it's been constantly about something else whereas yeah it's trying to get back a little bit of that normality that you have a life yes you have the other you have the caring aspect but you're just as important in this and you won't be able to give that support that you want to if you're not looking after yourself so when we talk about sort of eating well and that activity try and meet up with somebody some relaxation it's whatever time work for you a mindfulness walk and Maggie's Health can help with all those types of things because it is so important because otherwise, if you're not able to be in care, you know, care for somebody, then that caring might be taken out of your hands when you don't really want it to. It's really important to to make sure you prioritise the things that you need to be doing to look after the to, to look after yourself in order to look after the other person. If you can't work out what it is that you need to do, there's quite a useful framework where you can kind of think it's giving, which you're already doing, a lot of giving. So you don't need to worry about that. Being kind of mindful, activity, physical activity and social. There's kind of all these elements that make up well-being and they include like like I say talking with people learning being mindful that giving and socializing it's really important if you can't work out what one to do okay am I social enough like am I feeling down if you're not feeling in a great place kind of use it as the checklist how many people have I actually caught up with that are my that are going to feed me from a social social perspective have I learned anything new recently if I listen even just listen given my chance to, self to listen to a podcast for example am I trying to kind of manage my mind in terms of being mindful being present being aware of is could I do a mindful work could I do a, a podcast how how much activity am I doing if I've not moved or stretched or exercised in any way that again affects me and then obviously there's the giving part of of what makes up the five ways to well-being but thinking of those five ways to well-being as a bit of a uh, kind of checklist can often help as well where you don't know where to start you said mentioned something as well about the importance of letting carers be heard and that kind of acting listening now that's something that you do at Maggie's for for carers but there's going to be people listening to this podcast that know of a carer or friends with a carer or partners you know like it might be that I'm a 
married to someone who's caring for their their relative or something why is being allowing a carer to be heard or kind of active listening so important for carers specifically Trish I think it's it's so that that acknowledgement is there that they are doing an amazing job but they are still a person that's an individual that needs to still feel valued with what they're doing but also to be heard and really acknowledging of how difficult it is for somebody who's who's a carer so lots of listening skills there sometimes it's not about giving advice it's about saying look I'm really sorry this must be really difficult for you at this time because a lot of people just want to offload and rant and that's absolutely fine might not there might not be anything that you can actually change about that but it's actually just listening to how they're feeling be engaged with that you know with that conversation but also it's assessing that risk as well and not only that risk on that carer because you know the effect that it has can be really hard for some people and they might find it really really difficult to be a carer but not really done anything about it so if you do know a carer that is caring for somebody and you can see that they're struggling it might just be how are you doing you know I understand it's really difficult for you is there anything that either not necessarily that they need but it may be that you can put them in touch with somebody or just to listen to them about how they're feeling so they don't feel alone I think really there's so much out there about you know carers groups carers hubs it may be young adults are being carers and they need that support as well or you know you see that so tell them to be kind to themselves try not to feel guilty there's going to be guilt there but it's about kind being kind to themselves being mindful but also checking in because you can see if you see if you've got a carer that you work with and you can see that they they look exhausted they might want not want to socialize or they might want to socialize even more just to have that contact just being a little bit of aware of people that you work with if they you know they seem a bit down or they seem as if you know something's not quite right sometimes just a actually you know a cup of coffee and is everything okay is there anything I can do you're not being invasive but it's just checking in really and making sure that they're doing okay because it's a hard thing to do hard thing to do and nobody knows how long you're going to be doing that caring for it might be a short time it might be a long-term thing and Mm. certain things may need to be looked at as well with regards to sort of financial and work as well can you be a full do you have to be a full-time carer can you work as well do you have to drop your hours there's lots of What's your carer's policy? What's your business's approach to carers? Always make sure you speak with HR because there's always, there's sometimes there's policies that you don't even know about or there's ways of flexing around things that you don't know about. There's way of flexing your hours. There's flexible working hours, contracts. There's short-term ways of approaching these things. So always have those conversations and don't ever be afraid to have a conversation with your business. They're not going to think worse of you. They want to support you. Would it be better have a conversation up front and say things at home have changed? I still want to work. I still need to work, but I need that need help to make sure that I can do the two things. Other than instead of, 
working, trying to do your caring commitments and then struggling at work. You don't want to put yourself at risk of, of not doing your job as well as you could do because you've not been open. Openness, having that culture of openness, being a manager that can support people, knowing what resources are available, being that employee that is open to your business. That two-way communication is the most successful way of getting a better outcome. So we've spoken a lot today around so many different areas. We've looked at kind of what even a carer is. We've looked at the fact that there's so many people that may or may not even realise that they are a carer. So if you are, you know, supporting an elderly relative or a friend or someone that's just struggling and it's you're not being paid for it, you are a carer and you may well need to be considering whether or not you inform works, you can get more support, whether or not you could apply for carer's allowance for that individual or the individual, you support the person to apply for the carer's allowance that they can then give you the money for so that there's a, a bit of support there. Um, thinking about your well-being, thinking about, you know, there's a lot of expectations on you as a carer and how that impacts your relationship with the person that you're supporting. Thinking about how you need to look after yourself, the importance of prioritising your well-being so that you can maintain what you're doing. If you know somebody who is a carer, making sure that you are listening to them, taking that time to actually just check in. You're not necessarily solutionising for them. You're just hearing what they have to say and making them, you know, recognising the work that they're doing. But what other top tips Trish, do you think you would want to be taken away from this podcast today? Like, what would you say for our listeners to take away from today? I think if you you know somebody that's a carer and you can see that they are um, struggling with something, then yes, it's just offering that time to listen to them. If you are a carer yourself, try not to do everything even though you might feel guilty about it. You can't do everything because if, if you burn out, if you crash and burn, then you're no good to anybody. And I know mentioned obviously about financial and benefits and things like that, is that you might need help. What benefits are out there for somebody that's a carer? You know, it's looking at, at things like that as well. What is available? What what can I do so I, I can still function myself? Um, and as you said about parents allowance or, you know, attendance allowance, all those things, mobility, there's lots of things out there and there's lots of ways that you can find information. Try and keep things maybe normal or as normal as they can be. But what does the new normal look like? The new normal might look like every week that you make sure that if you're a carer that you meet up with somebody or have that phone call or you chat with somebody to make sure that your own sort of mental health is being looked after as well. There's some responsibility for your own mental health from, you know, eating healthily and sort of exercising, being mindful. And I think that's the main thing, really. It's about being mindful about yourself and for the others around you. Perfect. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for your time today, Trish. I really appreciate it. We've taken you off of the busy floor in your Maggie Centre today to, to deliver this message in for everybody. So really, really appreciate your time. And thank you, everybody, for listening. And we look forward to you joining us on our next podcast. Thank you, Trish. Thank you. Thank you.